This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We'll shine the spotlight on our guest right now, Ryan Blackburn of My Life Sports. NBA Blackburn is the tag on social, our lead writer, and those to the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Make sure you check that out as well. MyLifeSports.com uh, on the My Life Sports app or wherever you get your podcast. Ryan, thanks for joining us. The uh, Nuggets almost done with their preseason slate. They have one more against these same Clippers uh, on uh, just a couple nights, they had the, the day off, and then they'll be back at it with the Clippers tomorrow to wrap things up. They lose last night. Uh, none of the starters playing in the game. Obviously, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. But when you look at the playoffs, or playoffs, pardon me, preseason thus far, I'm getting way ahead of myself. What have you learned, especially from the young players and the players that they've brought in, given the loss of Bruce Brown, of, of Jeff Green, of guys that played big minutes for them last year? Yeah, first of all, thanks thanks you guys for having me on. Um I I was not expecting Julian Strother to be this good. That that's the first thing that really stands out, just kind of dating back to summer league and dating back to just his, his profile coming out of college. Coming out of Gonzaga, there were talks about how he would be pro ready. It, it took a while to manifest a little bit in the summer league and, and then what we thought would be the off season. Turns out preseason, he looks great. He, he looks like he fits right in. And the aspect of that that I, I didn't really expect at all was the defense and the reading of the floor and everything outside of the shot. Like the outside shooting is awesome, but everything else has been really up to standard as well. And he just doesn't look like the one-dimensional player that I thought he would be. Yeah, and, and again, we caution that this is – preseason after all, and you're not necessarily playing against uh, the opposing team's best player or a particularly uh, competitive uh, opposing team. This is preseason for everybody, but he has shown those signs, hasn't he? And uh, there's always room for good three-point shooting, and if his defense is passable, uh, he could find himself as part of the rotation And I'll ask you the question. It came up in the uh, Ringer piece that uh, featured some explosive quotes from Calvin Booth, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute or so. But uh, in the piece, the contention was made by the writer, uh, Kevin O'Connor, that only six Nuggets really had minutes sewn up for this year. Uh, The five starters and Christian Brown. And then I believe... Uh, the line was everybody else's minutes are up in the air, including Peyton Watson. I do think Peyton Watson would be the seventh guy, but they're probably going to be at least two more guys in their rotation. Uh, would Strother at this point, in your opinion, be one of those two guys? I think so. I, I think that Strother, what he has done, throughout this preseason and and these things obviously they will evolve over plenty of time and and that is going to probably shift here over the course of these next few months or so but from what we've seen so far what you need in the postseason what you need from a, a playoff rotation is players that bolster what you already do well and can't be taken advantage of in in different areas and I think that Strother does a lot of the good things that a guy like Michael Porter Jr. does 
and he could do it with the second unit in, in a brief amount of time, that would be awesome. Uh, to your point about Peyton Watson specifically, he's still raw. He, he's probably even more raw still than, than a guy like Strother. I, yeah. I think that oh, yeah. Played, he's he's probably more. more raw than Tyson. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think Tyson's a five-year guy from college and, and yeah. has plenty of experience. And so and, is Pickett, actually. I know they play different positions, but Pickett's a five-year guy from college. Yeah, and so when when you're talking about Watson, who is a, a one-year guy out of right. college, didn't really right. play a ton, yep. and then didn't play a ton the last year, and then you are asking him to kind of get up to speed immediately, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt and try to be patient with him because uh, the front office believes in him. They've given nobody any reason to doubt what their actual vision has been so far. And to be clear, I think that Peyton Watson is a more necessary player than a guy like Julian Strother in a playoff rotation because Denver doesn't have a ton of front court depth. That's the one thing that really stands out watching these play uh, these, this preseason as well. Not a lot of trusted guys in the front court right now that you can say that guy definitely has to play. So if during the regular season a guy like Peyton Watson steps up into that role, that would be so beneficial for this Nuggets team and give them a lot of clarity heading into the playoffs. I want to follow up on that because you raise an interesting point about the bench, and I think that's the central question about the Denver Nuggets heading into the 23-24 season. The Nuggets, in effect, had six starters last year. The sixth man, Bruce Brown, played over 28 and a half minutes per game and played in the playoffs a lot and even finished games with Michael Porter Jr. basically the one to sit while Bruce Brown played. I love Christian Brown probably more than anybody else. Yes. But <laughs> but I'll be shocked if he plays 29 minutes a game this year and fills in exactly uh, the void left by Bruce Brown. John Hollinger wrote today in The Athletic previewing the top half of the Western Conference, basically teams one through seven, that, yes, the Nuggets unquestionably have the best starting five in basketball. There can be little disputing that. But he said there are metrics that suggest the Nuggets might have the worst bench or at least the bench with the most question marks. Is that a fair observation, in your opinion? Best starting five, bench, especially without Brown, very much in question. Of course it's fair. <laughs> of course. like Think about who they are trusting at this point. You're, you're trusting Christian Brown, who, yes, he did play in the playoffs last year, but he played a 13-minute-per-game role and wasn't the most important member of that rotation you're asking him to basically double his minutes load and double his responsibility. Pretty close. Yep. And, Pretty and close. If, that's, if that's really what you're asking for, then I believe that he can get there, but there's at least a, a potential reason to doubt. That, oh, that sure. He you're not, he's there. not Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown played in the league for several years. This is Christian Brown's second year. Absolutely. And then while, while you can see quick jumps from guys like a, a Christian Brown, where he's, he's been in college for three years, he won in his first year in the NBA. He, that's a guy who might develop rather quickly and, and kind of surprise a lot of people. 
But it still leaves the question of, okay, now who replaces Christian Brown? Who replaces Jeff Green? Right. The, the Jeff right. Green replacement was going to be Vlaco Chanchar, and he's out with yeah. a torn ACL. Right. Out so clear. now you're trying to figure out – and this may not matter if, if we're being honest, but the Nuggets basically replaced the Christian Brown role with Reggie Jackson, and they replaced the Jeff Green role so far with either Peyton Watson or Zeke Nagy. And – while that is fine, and while I think you can have some positivity about that group, I don't think anybody's kidding themselves when, in calling this a good bench unit. The good aspects of the bench unit will come when Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon staggers with that group and gives them a semblance of clarity. But if you ask them to field a five-man bench unit that makes sense and can actually win in the regular season and maybe even in the playoffs – that is a really a non-starter at this point. So they are going to have to find ways to get creative with it, find ways to be uh, more dynamic with, with how they shift their rotations for, from game to game. And maybe you do have to trust a rookie here or a rookie there in Julian Strother, pay, uh, Hunter Tyson, or Jalen Pickett. And that, that's where my question comes in, Ryan. How, when you're trying to defend this title, do you knock down some of the minutes for Nikola Jokic, for Jamal Murray, for Michael Porter Jr., who great made it through a, a year healthy, but I think you're always worried about that for Aaron Gordon. You would, you would like to reduce these starters' minutes a little bit during the regular season. Can they afford to do that, or is the hope that they realize they can't do it early, but maybe they can do it later if this bench rounds into form? So I'm not sure they're going to have to reduce, per se. I, I think that they have to be conscientious of how much they play those guys like, for, for example, last year, basically, Jokic averaged about 33 minutes a game. That's fine. That's, that, I'm, that's I'm okay. Not, yeah. If, if that's what he plays and if that's what Murray plays, who he plays about 34 minutes per game, then I'm good with that. And there's, there's no reason right. to expect when it gets to be that big. When I guess 35 or more, then it becomes problematic. Yeah, and Denver, I think, did a really good job of, of minimizing those opportunities. And, and I think that they can do a better job of kind of taking care of the minutes if they take care of teams early on and they, they win the first, second, and third quarters more frequently than they did this last year. When uh, this last year they, they were a fantastic fourth-quarter team and a, and a fantastic clutch team, basically, and they, they eked out a lot of those wins when they probably didn't have to. So. I think they could be smarter about it. Calvin Booth has talked about this before. Michael Malone has talked about this before. But because everybody is basically in their prime on this team outside of maybe KCP or Reggie Jackson with the, the regular bench guys, um, I think I think Denver can be fine going on average about 30 to 33 minutes with their starters. But that means that they have to play about 15 to 18 minutes with their bench guys too. And if they can't get that, and they have to play the starters more, that is where you'll run into issues. Let's get to the explosive quotes coming out of the ringer piece that uh, featured Calvin Booth earlier this week. Kevin O'Connor wrote the piece from the ringer, and perhaps the most explosive quote came from Calvin Booth saying about Bones Highland and Michael Porter early in January, maybe later in January in this year of 2023. I knew you couldn't have two guys that couldn't guard, and we couldn't have two guys 
that were young and kind of more me guys. Mike makes $30 million. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA. So, Bones, there's no place for you. I understand Calvin Booth made it a point to go on national TV last night and walk back that comment in particular, but he didn't deny saying it. He said it was off the record, which is kind of a standard excuse. Uh, I think he was on a roll, and he, in fact, did say that, and I don't believe he made it clear that it was off the record any more than the other quotes, some of which were almost as explosive, were off the record. But as far as that is concerned, uh, did Booth, in your opinion, you've read the piece, did Booth not only get a little carried away, but maybe get a little bit full of himself? It's tough to say. I think that Calvin Booth, his personality in general, is as a person who has been very open about what his vision is from the very beginning. What he has said about what the Nuggets have needed has been a we're going to surround Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray with defense, length, athleticism, and and he has been very open about those traits in particular, uh, about like what you need to surround your star talent to create a championship vision. And to his credit, he did exactly what the Nuggets were hoping, and he put together a roster that was perfect for the team and perfect for the players and perfect for the stars. And that's exactly what happened. And I think when laying out that vision, sometimes some of those quotes can come off as a little bit uh, boasting, a little bit boisterous. Yeah, the the me guys, I mean, they still have Porter, and he called Porter a me guy. Now, it's acknowledged in the piece that Porter changed and got better during the second half of the year, and yes, during the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, it's one thing to call Bones Highland, who doesn't play for you anymore, a me guy. But when you're calling and making mention of the fact that he makes $30 million and implying that was the reason he stayed, even though he was a me guy just as much as Highland, uh, that's, that's something that can come back and haunt you a little bit. Yeah, and I've heard that Porter is not exactly thrilled with, with uh, that message. No, I wouldn't, think so. uh, I wouldn't think so. Nor yeah, should yeah, he and, be. Nor should he course. be. And, and here's, like, from Porter's perspective, first and foremost, I would be mad about that, too. Yeah. From, Porter, from Porter's perspective, he bought into the Nuggets' vision. He, like, he's getting paid the money, and that is part of the job for, for doing what you're being asked to do. But on this team, and, and on most teams, I, I think he would – have a larger role within the offense to explore his game, to become the best player he could be. And rather than do that, he instead bought into the role as more of a three and D trying on, on defense and rebounding and spacing the floor and making sure that the stars on Denver, namely Jokic and Murray were getting the credit for being as, as good as they were. And Porter never once objected to that. He, he even going into media day this year, he said, I like, basically I can be better within my role, but why would I change my role? Because we won a championship last year. I want to continue to do what helps the team win. And to me, like, if I'm Porter and then I hear those quotes that came out, whether they were within the context of a January leap or not, right. like from right. previously or not, yeah. you just don't want to hear that. You, there's no reason for you to want to hear that. 
And and it kind of, I think, undercuts all of the efforts that you have put in in the last calendar year. And that, yeah. I think, is very stressful. I yeah, think for I, him, I, I agree. It, it, there's, there's a lot of trust that I think that then can erode in a situation like that. And you just never know what else is said behind your back either. So I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is. I don't know I what think it's the whipped. conversations like Very well between Porter and, and uh, Calvin Booth, but I, I know that they haven't been like stellar since, since that moment. So we are going to see whether that kind of erodes over the course of time. But this is why, like, this is why a lot of people in that situation would go no comment. It's why a lot of people would say, I, I'm not really comfortable making those those kinds of comments publicly. Or, or make it clear, this is off the record. I'll tell you what was really going on with Bones Highland, but it's off the record. You can you can use it in a kind of generalized sense, but to make it, he didn't do I mean, I think it's pretty obvious he didn't do that. There's a lot of other stuff in there in which, uh, you know, he does seem to get carried away, but carried away in a more positive direction that, you know, saying Hunter Tyson is Dirk Nowitzki and uh, that uh, Peyton Watson is a better passer than Bruce Brown was implying that Brown was somewhat selfish uh, for taking the $22 million. I mean, that's just getting carried away. This is a knock at a guy who still plays for you. He's a starter. And in fact, you call him a me guy and Porter's saying, wait a minute, I made all sorts of sacrifices. Even during the playoffs, I made all sorts of sacrifices. I didn't bitch when they put me on the bench at the end of close games and played Bruce Brown. I never said a word about it. And, and now I, now I, my GM's calling me a me guy. I do want to be clear that when when Calvin, like, uh, let, me, let me defend Calvin a little bit here. Uh, being a me guy isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. I think for some teams, you need a me guy that is willing to get up the shots that other guys are not willing to take. And like Porter is willing to take every shot because he believes that every shot is going to go in as he should. But I don't, I don't know if that's how he meant it, I, I, Ryan, I don't, though, That's but. not how he meant and it. Certainly, and he, he said certainly, he was selfish and he stayed here because he made a lot of money. And he also said before last year, which I thought was a very fair comment to make last year at this time, just before the season began, he said, Michael Porter makes a lot of money, but as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't done anything here. And he was right about that. He hadn't at that point done anything here. And Booth's implicit point was that I would have never signed him to the contract that my friend Tim Connolly signed him to. And I thought that was a fair comment to make at that time. But to make it this time and say he's a me guy when Porter and I'm not the president of the Michael Porter fan club, but he wasn't taking shots willy nilly. His shot selection actually was very good. I thought, yes, he didn't shoot well against Miami, but it wasn't like he was going three for 20 every game. Right. And no, I I, want to make that clear that. What I mean by the me guys is that the guys that are taking aggressive shots yeah. and aren't necessarily oh, get, always yeah. looking for the other people. I get what you're saying for sure, Ryan. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's no, I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair in a, in a general but sense. If, but if Calvin like, would have meant that, he wouldn't have walked back the comment. He wouldn't have walked back the comment. <laughs> 
especially the me guys. That's the, that's the comment that got him in trouble. And he even had to admit, you know, uh, not that this should be his concern. Uh, in fairness, Bones Highland has played very well for the Clippers and played well for them last year after the trade was made. And it clearly has a lot of confidence. But the, bi- the big news was Porter being called a me guy. How much, I mean, Ryan, I guess the, the last one for you here is like, it, it's worth monitoring, you know, maybe... Uh, maybe it doesn't turn into a thing, but this feels like a uh, stepping on rakes a little bit. It wasn't necessary to have this problem, and now you do have a little bit of a problem with a guy who's been accused of being selfish before that's worked really hard to not be selfish. I mean, how, how much of a concern is this for you to have the GM kind of have to walk this back on national television uh, before the season even gets started? Is it particularly concerning, or is it just something you're going to keep your finger on the pulse of? I mean, I'll, I'll pay attention to it. I, I don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is without seeing Porter play, without being able to talk to him at all, uh, because we just don't know. I, I think that there are reasons why he would be frustrated, but he's also a grown adult and has really grown up over the course of these last couple of years. So if an offhanded com- uh, comment by a GM is going to frustrate him as much as he is and, and put him off his rocker, then that. I think is, is already a weakness in its own right. And that, that maybe there was already stuff below the surface that we didn't really know about. Uh, but as, as it stands right now, look, Denver still has Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon as their, I think those are the big three right now when you're talking about what makes the nuggets tick. And if Porter is on board and he's playing well, then he adds to that group. If he is not on board and he's not playing well and maybe he's taking some shots and then making some plays that the Nuggets are not super happy with, then we can circle back in a little bit. But I need to I need to definitely digest it a little bit more and evaluate a little bit more because this this is a thing that we may see the ramifications immediately. We may not see the ramifications of this until April or May. Well, check out the latest Pickaxe and Roll podcast uh, recorded after the game last night. Ryan Blackburn is the guy to give it a follow as well. Black, Black, uh, NBA Blackburn is the handle, our lead uh, writer and analyst for the Nuggets over on MyLife Sports. And again, check out that podcast. You can get it anywhere, but the easiest place, just grab the MyLife Sports app. You'll get everything that we do over here all in one spot. Uh, looking forward to working with you again this season, Ryan. This is going to be very entertaining. Uh, it, it's still, It's still, to me, as a guy that, that, that's grown up here, to still think that, one, the Nuggets actually won the title, and two, they're favored to defend it. My brain still hasn't totally wrapped around it. I need preseason, too. Yeah, all the, all the conversation <laughs> about Mike, and we're raising a banner on Tuesday. So <laughs> it's going to be okay. I, I think we're, it, there, there's, there's plenty to be excited for, for sure. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate it. Good to talk to Ryan Blackburn about that. And, yeah, it is, it's, it's unfortunate that Calvin Booth kind of uh, – I think you're right. Just got feeling his oats, got a little loose, yes. but it's and and caused a bit of a row that it was unnecessary. But I think Ryan makes a good point. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. does have a long term contract in which he's going to get every single dollar of it, no matter what he does. Oh, yeah. And at that uh, point, you know, Porter Jr. I guess can look at it and say, "Well, think what you think. I'll just have to play my game." But it's been remarkable to me that during the course of the entire off season, players have gone out of their way not to take credit, certainly not singular credit for the title. And you usually worry about a championship hangover in that sense. But not from the players will (laughs) think I was indispensable when it was a group thing. 
these players understand and understood that at the time, and maybe it was the GM who was looking for credit and looking for attention a little more than he should have. Well, he got it. We'll see what it does for the Denver Nuggets. Going forward, the Denver Broncos have a decision to make about Russell Wilson. Just an idea of uh, how you win Super Bowls might have to do with the contract. Russell Wilson's been part of it before. Now he might be on the other side. What does it mean? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. When Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks won their Super Bowl, it was a defense first team. Wilson was good. Wilson was effective. Certainly Marshawn Lynch helped, but one of the things that kind of snuck in there, Sandy, is the idea that Russell Wilson was on a rookie contract, and Russell Wilson didn't cost the team that much, which allowed the rest of the Seahawks to take advantage of the salary cap and fill out the rest of their roster. We have seen teams make those runs before. One of them, of course, the San Francisco 49ers have that advantage, even though they traded an awful lot to go get Trey Lance. Brock Purdy took the job and ran with it. Purdy, according to Joy Taylor out at, at, at Speak over at FS1, made a pretty good argument to why uh, he should be the MVP. Yeah, he has to be the front runner. We have to remove what we know about Brock Purdy. If I painted this picture that Brock Purdy was the number two or number three overall pick, mm. highly touted in college, everybody knew about him, <coughs> came into the league and do what he's doing right now, we would be losing our minds. Mm -hmm. We would be falling apart if that's how he entered the league. But he didn't. He was the last pick in the draft. Nobody knew who he was, and he came in to replace an injured starting quarterback with someone else on the roster who was the third overall pick, who did have all this hype coming in, who they did use three first-round picks and all these other picks to get, and Trey Lance. Nobody knew who Brock Purdy was. The Niners barely knew who Brock Purdy was. He was the last pick in the draft. You don't get credit for that. That was that's pure football god luck. I'm sorry. He is who he is. I'm not, I'm not waiting anymore. I think Brock Purdy is a great quarterback. I agree with her, but she's wrong about one thing. Adam Peters knew all about Brock Purdy. I don't think Adam Peters knew that Brock Purdy would be this, or he wouldn't have picked him in the seventh round. <laughs> well, no he, didn't, he didn't make the pick, but I'm saying he knew about Brock Purdy. Oh, yeah. And well, they knew who he was. They, of course, they, they picked they him. But, if anyone, but no well, one knew he was no, going to be this. Listen, maybe not. Maybe not, but nobody knew Tom Brady. Right, which is why there's Tom a little Brady. luck involved. I'm not with that comparing too. the two, by the way. Not yet. But. I, I, I do think it's wrong to say they were just lucky and they fell into him. First of all, this is a story that has been told many times now. Brian Greasy had just been added to the 49ers staff as a quarterback coach. And they asked him, we're going to take a quarterback late. Who do you like? Brock Purdy yeah. was never going to be drafted in the first five or six rounds. No. If, if you look at his story and his injury right. history and everything else, you, you know all about that. He was never going to be taken by anyone 
in the first five, six rounds. It, it was never going to happen. And the 49ers knew they had the last pick. And just as a general kind of assessment, they were looking to Brian Greasy, who said, I'm not going to speak from a coaching standpoint because I'm not a coach. <laughs> I, uh, But as an analyst, I did a number of Brock Purdy games, which I'm sure the 49ers understood. And he said, I like him. And here are the reasons I like him. Now, this is an analyst mm-hmm. making these judgments. Not, I'm not judging him as a coach might. Right. But it's just my impression. And he said his teammates revere him. The head coach and the entire coaching staff loves him. And he's whip-like smart, and he can process information. And Brian Greasy is big on that because that's what made Brian Greasy, until he busted up his shoulder, a decent NFL quarterback, even though he didn't have a lot of the physical tools that are usually considered as prerequisites to play the position in the NFL as a starting quarterback. He knows about processing information. And he knew that about Brock Purdy because he had talked to Brock Purdy. And he knew Brock Purdy had an understanding of football and of offense in particular that most college quarterbacks don't have. Uh, You know, uh, safety comes down, you throw. Safety stays out, you run. That's the extent of football knowledge that most college quarterbacks have when they come into the NFL. Purdy was much more advanced than that. So, to, to suggest that it was an accident that they drafted him, it wasn't. I don't. Th- I don't think wasn't. she's suggesting it's an accident. No, but, she. That's what she said. Well, it was pure luck. You know what? But to pure an extent, luck. there is. If, if no, you would, if I'm you were sorry. to redraft it this draft, wasn't. Brock Purdy wouldn't have been in the seventh. If anyone knew, including Adam Peters and Brian Greasy, that Brock Purdy was, would immediately step in and be an MVP candidate, they wouldn't have been like, ah, well, we know we Nobody got a potential MVP else. candidate. We'll wait until the seventh round to pick including him. Nobody would do that. The Denver Broncos thought he could play. Period. The 49ers thought sure. he could. My point is, Period. they didn't know he'd be this an MVP. year. Canada. He's coming off an elbow injury, right? Right. And you think, okay, you've got not one but two third overall picks as quarterbacks on your team. Well, they're going to open up the competition at least to a limited extent. They didn't open up the competition at all, and this is Purdy coming off an elbow injury. Right. No, he's clearly the, he's he's. Clearly a great quarterback. There's no question about that. No, no, no. But I, I'm saying I'm picking, he, play, all he your played favorite guys one today. year. No, but I'm saying he played one year. Yeah. He played one year, and then he got hurt. Yeah, he, he, w- he was good, but he wasn't anything like he is now. I'm just inclined to give the 49ers a little more credit. Okay. Just like I give the Philadelphia Eagles credit for Jalen Hurts, who would also third not be pick, around though. in the third round Shouldn't if the draft were held today. No. But the Eagles knew something that most every other team in the league did not sure. know, including the team that plays here. Well, the focus that to misses me. on guys like Hurts and Purdy all the time in favor of stumble bums like Paxton Lynch. And yes, Russell Wilson, who everybody, certainly in the NFC West, knew was over the hill when the deal was made. They were not thrilled to have him out of the division, but 
they were very impressed that Seattle made a steal of a deal, and that was said at the time the deal was made, not as last year's disaster was unfolding. There's a reason that the 49ers and Eagles are two of the best four or five teams in a league at the very least. And there is another reason for that because of whether it's a little bit of fortuitousness or a little bit of foresight or a combination of both, which I think is even more likely, that they're in the position they're in. And it has to do with salary. And we'll talk more about that next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We were talking a little bit about the Brock Purdy situation and the idea of, you know, the, the, the rookie salary. Purdy is under contract through 2025. This year he makes $870,000. Next year he'll make a million, just barely over. And in 2025 he'll make $1.1 million. The luxury there, of which Russell Wilson was part of. He wasn't the one getting rich, but that helped lead to the Seahawks championship. Here's the trick. Next year, because they know when they have the quarterback in Purdy and he doesn't make all that much money, Christian McCaffrey's number jumps to $14 million next year. Debo Samuel's number jumps to $28 million. Brandon Ayuk jumps to $14 million. George Kittle jumps to $21.9. Trent Williams jumps to $31.7. Eric Armstead to 28.8. Nick Bosa to 14.75 on his way to one that'll end, by the way, with $52 million a year in 2027. Javon Hargrave jumps to $15 million. Fred Warner to $24.5 million. Charvarius Ward jumps to $17 million. You get the point. Because you're not paying the quarterback... You can pay a dozen other positions because quarterbacks make crazy money. The Eagles, to a lesser extent, because Hertz does make more than Purdy, but the Eagles are benefiting that from that too. ESPN put an interesting piece together with Purdy's salary, and it, it's interesting to note what you know these quarterbacks make. Russell Wilson, and complain about the contract all you want, Russell Wilson is the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league this season. 10th. 20 quarterbacks this year make more than Brock Purdy makes in a year in a game. Yeah. 20 of them. It's remarkable. And so one of the challenges, and I've talked about this before, one of the major challenges towards team building in the NFL is finding your franchise quarterback. But I'm starting to come around to the idea, Sandy, that unless you have Patrick Mahomes, or somebody somebody like that. I'm not paying quarterbacks $40, $50 million a year because you can't put a team around them. Right. Right. Uh, well, Mahomes in Kansas City. Figured. Well, and there's the exception way. because that yeah. guy, I'm like, but okay, it, you know. Again, that's a good okay, organization. If, if I'm Mahomes, if I got up a Mahomes, if I have a Joe Burrow, okay, I'm writing the checks. But no. I but I know no. that I have to now get clever. No, and you, the, and the you other can't thing overpay quarterback is a guy like the Mahomes or the Burrow has to be the guy, much like Peyton Manning was when he came to Denver prior to 2012. Yeah. He's got to be a magnet. Yeah, yeah. And I a agree. lot of these guys on the list that make more than Russell Wilson this year, and that would include as, as 
Is, I, I think talented as Josh Allen is. Is he a magnet? I don't know yet. Is Kirk Cousins? No. Is Derek mm-hmm. Carr? No. Is Dak Prescott? No. Deshaun Watson? You get well, the idea. Kirk Cousins is a good example. Kirk Cousins is worth what he's getting paid. But if you don't have anything around him that's special, and you have the Minnesota Vikings. what you've paid Cousins is hard to add. Yes, but Cousins himself is worth Probably. the money. Now, we Numbers. talked about this um, in a different time and place. When the Wilson contract was given, and I've, I'm not exactly recoiling, but I, I kind of wince when people talk about, oh, how on earth are they paying Russell Wilson all this money? Once you traded for him and traded away five draft picks and three players, players uh, you better sign him. Two of whom were starting players. players. And I'm not including Drew Locke in that, right. even though he's a starter here. Shelby Harrison, no fan. Right. Once you did that, you weren't going to extend them? <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I'm, I've, After I've all always that, you talked about that, too. You weren't going to extend Wilson's them? Of course you were. Is, is, to my mind, the contract, make of it what you will. I'm, I'm with you. The mistake I, was the trade. The contract the itself is defensible because you can't make that trade and not Make sure you have the guy right. under You're going to let him control. leave after a year or two? Right. You have really? to do that. And and like we talked about again, Russell Wilson is the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league. And you can look at it and say, well, well, he's not playing. like. Well, I get that. Right. Sure. I get right. that. He's not playing paying like that. Neither is Daniel Jones. No. He's but he's third. also not playing like a guy you traded five draft picks and three existing right. players for. But it, it reaches the point. a point where the, the salary really becomes problematic unless you have a guy that can be a Pied Piper that brings players to your team. Otherwise, you may be better off building a really solid team and getting a competent quarterback. There. Like Brock Purdy. Even though there were different people involved, the problem with the deal they made for Wilson, see, Manning was let go by the Colts. Right. He was a free agent. Didn't have to give him anything. Except money. Mm-hmm. When Wilson comes here, it's via trade. And when Wilson comes here, the Broncos think, even though they weren't the people who made the Manning deal, the Broncos think, oh, Russell Wilson will be just like Peyton Manning. And he'll draw players. Not only will he be a revived quarterback with a change of scenery, getting to a place he likes as opposed to a place he didn't particularly like. He'll bring other players along with him. That was a major part of the error in judgment that the Broncos made in believing that about Wilson, that Wilson was popular with other players around the league, not especially popular with teammates in Seattle, a complete misjudgment because he, particularly with defensive players and offensive linemen, was not popular at all. In fact, I don't know if despised would be exactly the right word. That's probably strong, but um, too big for his britches, resented, I don't think resented would be too strong. 
late no. with his offensive lineman and earlier in his career in Seattle with defensive players who thought he was a teacher's pet. Ironic, given the way the relationship eventually right. went sour with Pete Carroll, but still viewed as the teacher's pet and also viewed as a guy who would never get blamed when they lost. And after they won the Super Bowl, they got back the next year. Well, Wilson threw the pass that I think, although others got blamed for it, and rightfully so, defensive players particularly looked at that and said, this guy is getting all this attention now that we've won. We won because of what we did on defense Mm -hmm. more than what he did on offense. And now he screws up and everybody is making excuses for him or saying, well, we'll be back to the Super Bowl again. We've gone two years in a row. We'll be back again. Maybe for three years in a row. Who knows? But that never happened, and there was resentment that built up. The Broncos misjudged that. If they had done their homework, talked to other teams, talked to other players, both in Seattle, who had played, if even if they didn't play with Wilson anymore, had played with him, mm-hmm. if they had really done their homework, they wouldn't have been under the illusion that, he was popular enough to bring other players around, and he wasn't ever going to be Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning had at least one year that compared very favorably, 2013, with any year he ever had as a quarterback, and he had one other year, the year before 2012, that might well have been his second best year behind 2013. Who could have guessed that that after four neck surgeries in 19 months? Here's the Broncos in 2022 looking at Wilson in kind of the same way. Major mistake. Major misjudgment. It it ends up for the Broncos being problematic, and it would would be my, my argument here is that to a certain extent, it would have been problematic no matter what unless you believe that Russell Wilson was going to be a top two or three or four quarterback in the league, because those are the only guys that you can actually afford to pay and still assume that you'll be a title contender. And this is what the Broncos, when the rebuild gets going, and by the way, fans, I hate to break the news. The Broncos, one, I don't think are have quite yet realized that they need a rebuild. So it has, I'm not joking. I agree. No, I'm laughing because I agree with you. And I don't, I certainly can't tell you that the rebuild has started. It hasn't even started yet. Oh no, you don't think uh, letting Randy Gregory go, even though it was a trade and releasing Frank Clark outright. You, you, you aren't buying that uh, this is acknowledgement by the the Broncos. The rebuild hasn't even started, but when they do, The lessons that they learned from this, that's the trick. Uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure. We'll find out if the new ownership learned it or if Sean Payton learned it. We'll talk more about this tomorrow as well. Uh, Sean Payton, by the way, uh, in case case he's listening and he's not, uh, said (laughs) that Marvin Mims Jr. is dying to break out. Well, he can't do that until you play him, coach. Just Play saying. more than twenty three percent of the snaps. Hard to then. break out on the sideline. Maybe put him on the field. Just oh, but an idea. A log jam, a wide receiver. Yeah, Brandon you Johnson is there. That.
I guess. It's a log jam. Oh, my goodness. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Plenty to talk about the Broncos. We'll do that with the Denver Gazette supporter, Chris Thomason, tomorrow as well. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn for joining us, talking a little bit about the Nuggets. Of course, uh, great information on them. The Avs, I mean, the Avs are uh, off to a great 3-0 start. Uh, The home opener will be tomorrow. That should be a show against the Blackhawks. The Nuggets will get to raise their banner next week. So we'll stay on top of it. It is the fall. That means, you know, we're doing everything. And that's great because this is the show to handle it. That's kind of what Sandy and I do. Every team, every day. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making it all work. We'll be back tomorrow. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. But you don't have to leave. You can stay right here on My Life Sports. Selfish moment, I've been feeling helpless, sick of seeing all the selfies. Now I don't care. Found myself a new vocation, calibrated motivation. No more static changes station.